Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is Lost Cast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 96. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. We are still getting excellent Lost Cast listener survey feedback, and I'm loving it. Uh, the survey is still open. I think we're going to go ahead and keep it open until episode 100. Then we'll lock it down, and we'll go over all the responses. Uh, so far, we have over 50, which is great. And I wanted to read uh, one of my favorite quotes. Um, you know, I was thinking maybe we should put uh, allow people to put names their names on it if they want to that way we could um you know credit people although i don't know something about the anonymity about it could be nice it you know makes people say more what they would actually think you know if they have criticisms or whatnot that's hard to say yeah i think that in general anonymity allows people to be more expressive i mean in certain cases not everyone feels that way but yeah you know even if it's good feedback sometimes yeah. people don't want to like you know that's true. Necessarily have their names associated with something. And, you know, if someone's really determined, you could always just say, you know, in the comments, if you really wanted to, you could be like, oh, hey, by the way, this is me. You know me. Uh, and, so and people have done that. That's, yeah, that's true. Uh, so this quote is, uh, I've been listening for so long that it almost feels like you are my friends by now. And that warmed my heart. Oh, isn't that nice? It is nice. So Matt runs on positive feedback, everybody. <laughs> I do. He's like a, a robot. You have to recharge him with positive <laughs> And kudos. Ooh, this one powered me up. <laughs> now, you, you've surely felt this before. We've been doing this for a little bit of time now, not, you know, ages or whatnot, but I know you know this feeling. You wake up and, you know, you maybe, uh, you don't know how much energy you have. You probably haven't measured it, right? You're not really paying attention, but... I might put the like, dipstick in and figure it out. Yeah, maybe, maybe you feel fine. Maybe you feel awful. Maybe you feel great. You don't know. You haven't really um, measured, right? So, but, but your first interaction with the internet for the day, you wake up, turn on your computer... Sometimes that can like determine your mood for the day, right? Like you yep. get a really nasty Steam review or someone tweets some some crap at you and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Kind of sets your brain patterns for the day and that can be sad. The thing for me is that uh, usually what I do the first thing in the morning is I'll check my email. Yeah. And if it's like, you know, we don't really get like hate mail over the email. But, right. uh, you know, sometimes we'll get like, you know, Anger mail. Frustration mail. <laughs> oh, yeah, like a bug or something or like yeah. uh, an email from a partner about like, oh, this, there's a bug and this, that, and the other thing. And like that oh, kind of... Oh, the worst. Here's some know. work you have to do that you don't want to, right? That's and you a weren't bad email expecting, to get. you know? Yeah. Unexpected work you don't want to do. Good morning. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> oh, thank you. So, uh, yeah, you know, the, the good comments can really set a great tone for the day. Right. We should, you know what we should do? What should we do, Jeff? We should we should make a bot that uh, <laughs> I know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> at like nine or ten a.m. in the morning, or whenever we up, I guess maybe eight or nine. Yeah, uh, it will tweet at us with a positive remark from like a pool of boss cast responses. Oh, okay, okay. That that brings it home. At first, I was like, you know, it's just some automated crap, right? <laughs> hey guys, you're doing great. Keep it up, you dudes. Yeah. You know who's awesome? You right there. Yeah. Like, you know, just generic, that kind of crap. 
which you know i mean that's kind of nice but uh maybe you know empty <laughs> tad bit yes robot no, but this would be wonderful. like you know we could take good steam reviews or positive things Ooh, people yeah. have said about lost cast and or these wonderful start- lost cast listener survey quotes and comments exactly we'll start every day with positive reinforcement yeah or something <laughs> i like it um let's distract ourselves further from game dev and do that <laughs> yes uh um, let's build this so and we'll along- turn into a service that anyone can use oh yeah yeah we make it open source and then it'll uh it'll bring us hundreds of new gamers it, it'll be a pr thing right yes there's room for that help us <laughs> help us we can't focus <laughs> okay so Along the uh, survey uh, feedback, there's lots of comments of just kind of general praise and all that. But there's also, um, you know, users have the ability to put in what uh, what you like and what you don't like. And one thing that uh, I see a recurring theme, uh, I think people in general like it when we say what we're going to discuss kind of early on, uh, hopefully before <laughs> the five minute mark, <laughs> like right now. But you know how tangents happen. And that's the other thing, too. I thought about this. Um, even when we say what we're going to talk about, that's like a um, hopeful list. Yes. <laughs> a, a best guest. Here, here's an optimistic list of what we hope to talk about. Well, you can't and plan for tangents. Like tangents ours. happen. Yeah, they're they're part of life. They're like taxes. <laughs> oh. Taxes and tangents. Uh, but along those lines, so today we're going to talk about um, Greenworks campaign to help support it. That is a Steam plugin for Node WebKit. You are going to talk about your tactics prototype, and I'm going to talk about Project Skirmish, which is the action prototype I have been working on. And if we have time, we, we won't. So so there's there's the topic list for today. I like how you stopped yourself from making false promises. Yeah, I think I did that last week where I was like, hey, here's five other things. Like, no, come on. You talked about like the first two things. You know, after you get past the tangents, it's going to be like 30 minutes per topic, probably. 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 It depends, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, tell us about the Greenworks Pledgy, because you're actually the one that found this and sent it to me. I, I don't know how I didn't know about it, but... Well, I was... Uh, details. So, to give you some backstory, I gotta set this up. Then I'll knock it down. You set it up and... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. That's how we work Hopefully. here. <laughs> That's right. It's like volleyball. Sure, if that works for you. Anyways, Greenworks <laughs> is this uh, Steam plugin. Uh, it's built on Node.js, and it works with node webkit and allows you to interact with the steam api so that your node webkit game can access things like leaderboards achievements cloud storage what have you yep anyways it's very generously provided for free open source um by greenheart games uh, makers of game dev tycoon so first of all that's that's awesome um the second thing is they just um very recently in last month or so launched um workshop support which is very involved and it was all kinds of code changes and stuff um and that that's was really steam cool workshop. so like on the steam website that's like uh working with mods and that kind of stuff with other users right it's basically ugc user generated content right yeah so the workshop on steam allows you to you know you can have a level editor and people can create levels or campaigns or whatever and so like then, in a scapegoat too, you can make your own levels and that would be through Steam Workshops. Right, and you can upload them to Steam Workshop and then other users can download them from Steam Workshop and play them on their own copy of a scapegoat. Right, yeah, that sounds really involved. Yeah, it is. And so it was interesting, you know, the amount of code that we use in, in, in Greenworks is like 
<laughs> very small. It's very small. It's like a few hundred lines almost. Right. Uh, and then I saw this update where they added workshop support and it was like tons and tons of code. Um, so, so many yeah, lines. Very complicated. Yeah. Um, but there was a big flaw with Greenworks at this point in time and not in any, not, not through any fault of Greenworks. It's just, I think we've talked about this before on a previous podcast about Node.js and their versioning system and how uh, the API is incompatible because basically when Node.js updates, they often update V8 and node, native Node plugins are written against V8 in part um, and, yeah. and also libvv. And so when those APIs change, which they do, uh, and the Node.js API changes because it's still a sub 1.0 project, uh, compatibility gets broken, right? Right. So basically, if you wanted to use Greenworks, you were stuck on Node 10, uh, which was shipped with Node WebKit uh, version 0.8. Right. Node WebKit is now on version 0.11, and anything past 10 uses um, Node 11, 13, and above. I'm pretty sure we talked about this in depth in another episode, and if I can find which one that is, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. We did, yeah. I ranted, yeah. Because basically I was going through all these hoops trying to, you know, prototype uh, yeah. support for Node WebKit 10 and above, and also uh, um, Atom Shell, because right, yeah. I was really interested in that. So did Greenworks then update to work with latest Node WebKit? Is that what happened? Well, there's this other project called NAN, which I talked about being a weird name, uh, native abstractions for Node. And basically what I did is I went uh, and I wrote this little uh, kind of proof of concept library called Steamboat. Oh, yeah. And I put it on the uh, Lost Decade GitHub account. And basically what I did is just I used NAN to abstract away the Node native API stuff. Right. Uh, and I wrote a very simple proof of concept uh, that integrated with Steam API using this NAN thing. Right. Uh, and then I posted it to a ticket on Greenworks uh, where people were asking for uh, Node WebKit 10 and above support. Um, okay. And I don't know if that, you know, they ended up using NAN and I don't know how much of it influenced their decision, but uh, essentially what they did is, is in response to user feedback, they went back and they rewrote all of Greenworks to be based on NAN. So it is now compatible with Node version 10 and Node version 11 and Theoretically, any new version of Node that comes down the pipeline. Very nice. Yeah. Um, so they spent a lot of their own money hiring contractors to do it because um, I don't want to speak for them necessarily, but it sounds from what I, I understand that they are more web devery kind of guys. Right. I mean, obviously they are in some sense because they're using HTML5 and Node WebKit. Um, and so they hire contractors to build uh, Greenworks. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That's probably yeah. how we'd do it if we had to, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I got some like sick pleasure out of diving into the world of <laughs> V8 and C++. I guess that's true. We we do kind of like tinkering with uh, C and C++ once in a while, just to kind of um, show us what we're missing, which it's a big, big headache. <laughs> yes. It's a different uh, headache. <laughs> it was interesting, though. Uh, I felt pretty confident, though. Once I wrote that proof of concept, um, you know, it worked. Basically, I wrote it from scratch, and it integrated with Steam, and it could do the things we would need it to do. Um, it didn't cool. do advanced stuff like workshop or cloud support, so I'm sure it would have been another headache and mountain of learning to get those yeah. things done. 
So where does this leave your project Steamboat then? Um, deprecated. Oh. Um, Way to waste your life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was worth it um, just because, you know, I, I did some research and kind of showed what could be done. You know, like, yeah. here's the problem. The problem is, is that, you know, the node is incompatible between these versions and, and the native add-ons. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. I got horsey mid-sentence The, the horse returns. <laughs> <laughs> rears its long um, face. So I kind of like did some legwork and said like, here, here's a way that this could be solved and here's some kind of proof of concept. Um, and hopefully that was helpful. So Nice, yeah. But um, the point of this whole ramble is that uh, in order to cover some of their costs, Greenworks uh, launched sort of a crowdfunding campaign uh, on a platform called Pledgy. And Matt will link to it in the show notes. Because, you know, any improvements to Greenworks are great for us. And all HTML5 desktop developers who, yes. you know, are interested in packing up their stuff. So uh, if you're interested in seeing more HTML5 games on Steam, uh, Greenworks is kind of the de facto way to integrate with Steam if you're doing HTML5, Node.js. So uh, if you're interested in that stuff and or if you've used it and benefited from it, then you should drop a couple bucks in their guitar case we did yes it made me feel good like like a like a business person <laughs> giving back you know like giving back to the community or something well you're not always able to do that and when you are you're in a good spot and that maybe i mean you know we're not in the best most stable spot ever but we we have something and that's uh it feels good yeah contribute and and share and give and you know well, and it's nice to reward someone for, you know, doing a lot of hard work. I mean, there's no reason that the Greenheart Games guys, you know, needed to open source that from the right. get-go, which they have, yeah. you know. This isn't like they put up a campaign to build something uh, in the future, and that's something they've already done. And they've already given it away for free, and they've already been supporting it and adding on to it and stuff like that. Totally. And then, of course, obligatory, I will put a link in the show notes again to the podcast where we actually interviewed uh, Patrick from Greenheart Games. Oh, good, good call. I, I've pointed a lot of people to that episode because it is really just very dense, and like this rich place to get lots of uh, information about Node WebKit and just desktop on HTML5. You know, it, it talks a lot about how there's more than one way to skin that cat. You know, we, we code in our own editor's and we use Canvas and uh, Patrick. The way they do it is they they write in, um, if memory serves. Go go prove me wrong. <laughs> Listen to the episode if I'm wrong. But I, I'm pretty sure he codes in Visual Studio, and they're very DOM-centric. So, you know, very different approaches, uh, but we're all part of the same ecosystem, and, you know, it all lives together and is good stuff. Yeah, it's an especially interesting interview for us because, you know, of all the HTML5 developers that we have interviewed, um, Greenheart Games is... The most similar to us, yeah, and uh, what they're trying to do and the way that they're levering it, leveraging HTML5 and stuff, yeah, and their their approach is uh, is different from the tech side, which I just find fascinating. Yeah, so yeah, uh, help them out if you can. Um, we have, and uh, you know, it helps all HTML5 developers, and uh, and it's good stuff. Actually, I want to quickly mention something about uh, AWL. Oh, okay. Um, we actually just pushed a version to the beta channel last week. Uh, with some optimizations that we are working on, primarily for Wii U, but they're also uh, hopefully helpful for the Steam version. Um, and some gamepad fixes. Um, we found through investigation that our gamepad code was 
sort of not exactly working the way it was supposed to. Yeah, there was a, a Steam uh, comment about that. Uh, so I think it was just generally kind of the gamepad being a little wonky. I, I think the user in a speci- was trying to be a little too specific, was talking about like this access feels different than that access or something. Um, but overall, uh, the user was correct. There was something that was kind of strange. It just happened to be a, kind of a different problem. And basically, my math sucks when it comes <laughs> to vectors, apparently. so You? Yes. Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, I fixed it, and it feels a lot better. Um, so nice. if you are on Steam and you have a chance to try the beta channel and you want to give us feedback on how the game feels, that would be excellent. Yeah. Man, uh, we should just message uh, Affordable Desk directly. Be like, dude, do your thing, man. We should just put him on the payroll. <laughs> we, have, we have payroll? Have yeah. you been holding out on me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean... <laughs> no <laughs> we'll put you on the uh uh iou right list. IOU list. <laughs> uh good times yes <laughs> we also used to get uh, a lot of feedback from uh forum user mu but i think that um that was a steam centric thing like we kind of pivoted a little towards steam and uh you know some users really hate drm and don't want to use <clears throat> any platform like that really yeah, it's but, interesting. I mean, I think that in general, you see a lot of that in any community. You know, uh, a user will show up and they'll be really engaged and interested in your product. And this yeah. happened to us several times, you know. Yeah, Someone will true. come in and, and they'll post all kinds of stuff and they'll be really into the game. And, uh, but, you know, but at some point, on. not this doesn't happen to everybody, obviously, but, you know, at, at some point they'll drop off and just kind of, you know, lose interest or whatever. Yeah. There's a period of intensity, right? They find it and they like it and they get really into it and maybe they'll write a guide or, you know, a <laughs> eighteen part comic or uh hours of video or, or whatever. But uh but yeah, you know, humans need new stimuli, so they'll they get bored, look somewhere else. But hopefully they'll be back for the next game. That's a great segue into That's such a such a good segue. <laughs> totally set that up for you. I was like, right. please get it. Best it's a sign segues. that we've been doing it too long. Segcast. Yeah. <laughs> so now I will actually talk about my prototype. Yay, prototype. I'm yes. excited about this. Um, so I'm working on a tactical strategy kind of game. I don't really want to call it a role-playing game. Wait, that should be your pitch, though. A tactical strategy kind of game. T- we'll put that on the website. Or whatever. <laughs> be the sub- yeah, that's the <laughs> subtitle. <laughs> Best marketers ever. So I've been like kind of distilling this idea in my head and what I think I want sort of is to take the essence of what made Shining Force fun for me, mm-hmm. which were the really great battles and just kind of focus on that mechanic. Um, because as we talked about before, Shining Force is a great game, but if you just took the battles alone, uh, they're not that great. Like, the mechanics are very shallow. True, yeah. Like a lava blade, if you will. <laughs> kind of. Except for maybe better. Because, you know, <laughs> units have more than one skill. But anyways, <laughs> I digress. So, I guess you could say kind of like a Final Fantasy Tactics. You know, where the game is, is largely about battle, 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 battle. Right. Um, but I also don't necessarily want it to be a story-driven or progression from a 
to be as the end of the game kind of scenario. Uh, I want right. to take more roguelike influences and and bring that into the game. Uh, and also have very modular content. One thing I've been really interested in lately is kind of getting away from the idea that the game has to be, you start at the beginning and then you play through to the end and there's a cl- big boss and, and the game's over, right? Right. It's kind of the way that Wizards Lizard works and, and Lava Blade and Onslaught Arena and pretty much every one of our games has this, you know, the way we've approached the design was that it was, you know, you start level one and you get to level 10 and there's a climatic end and then there's game over credits. Pretty much, yeah. And I've played some games recently where that wasn't the case and I really appreciated uh, that design and it's something that I want to incorporate into our own games because I think that it adds um, quite a bit of value, especially for um, a team like ours with, you know, the limitations that we have. Few resources. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's easier to get your head around too. Um, so basically the, the way that I want to design this game is to have kind of modular campaigns uh, or acts or, you know, some kind of concept of here's a little self-contained set of content maybe a chapter Uh, some gamers that are listening might have played games with chapters like that yeah um but the chapters don't necessarily even have to relate to each other i mean they could loosely they could all exist in the same universe uh, but they don't necessarily have to even continue yeah where the first one left off we talked about this a little bit yesterday actually one of uh this is a good idea that you had actually that i'm totally into at the moment oh i'm full of great ideas well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. There's like three great ideas in there, and the, the rest is all bad ideas. Yes. I'd say I'm about 1%. <laughs> 1 to 100 ratio. I'm like, Jeff, idea, idea, idea. You're like, ugh, so much garbage. And I'm then like, I'm like, idea. And you're like, hey. There you go. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> I knew there was a reason I kept you around. Even a, even a clock, uh, what, help me with this. Even a stopped clock is right even twice a, a day? Clock is, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's That one's new for me. <laughs> I'm working Good job. On it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway, you had this idea for so I was ca- kind of talking about this campaign modular content approach to you. Yeah, uh, and we were talking about like you know thematics and and just setting in general. Uh, and you brought up this idea about having the game kind of start or be centralized in a tavern. So let's back up real quick. Uh, kind of by default, I'm not sure why. I think you were just kind of inspired, but you were thinking maybe an Egyptian kind of like uh advent like 1950s adventurers going into a, a you know a pyramid and you've yeah. got like muskets and you've got the like hired guy with a scimitar and it, it'd probably feel like indiana jones but maybe even like a decade earlier than that or something right but yeah. very uh very supernatural right like lots of skeletons and mummies and stuff and that seemed kind of cool that's where you're starting from but you, what you were getting at i think is that that kind of was very um it's a very tight theme it really pushes you in a direction you know it would be harder to be like, you know, oh, we're in um, the ice caves now. Because you're like, aren't you in a pyramid? Like, I guess you could have an icy section in a pyramid, but that's it, not as, you know, natural, right? It's not as cohesive as something else could be. So that, I think you started to be like, you know, I want something a little more flexible, right? Well, I wanted each, you know, campaign or module, almost like a D&D module, right? Is the way that I'm yeah. thinking about this in my head is that in D&D, you have this party of adventurers and then go off and do different campaigns. You know, and each campaign may take a week or several weeks or a month or six months. Who knows? You know, it just depends yeah. on who's running the campaign. But 
you know, each campaign is kind of this, you know, story unto itself. Right. It's like, oh, you find yourself in this tavern and there's an old man who gives you a treasure map and the treasure map leads you to a cave and the cave leads you to a castle and the castle, there's a goblin king or whatever. That sounds fun. I'd play that. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I I didn't want, I really like the idea of the Egyptian theme, but I didn't want it to be the only theme because, you know, I did want to be able to do things like ice caves and fire temples and underwater cities of Atlantis and things like that. And so, yeah. um, it made more also, sense to kind of treat it as like you have a party of adventurers and, and your idea was that they're hanging out in a tavern and they're kind right. of like mercenaries for hire or, you know, their adventures drinking in a tavern and all of their adventures kind of stem from, you know, oh, this guy wants a, to hire you to do whatever. It's a great hub, right? Yeah. I, I've always liked how referring to Shining Force again, you know, there was your headquarters where... I don't think you ever had to go there for any reason. It was almost like the museum in a wizard's lizard where it's kind of just um, for decoration, but it was pretty cool. You could go and talk to your party members and the room was always the same, but say, you know, you get Lyle, uh, the new character, right? He will now be uh, over in his bed area and, you know, you talk to him and he's like, oh, I'm, you know, uh, taking apart and putting back together my cannons. And you're like, oh, that's kind of, it's just kind of flavor, right? It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I've always thought that that could all, like also be a, a more usable thing. You know, like um, some games I think have already done this. Like, let's say you talk to Lyle a lot. You know, oh, as long as you talk to him at least once between battles, he gets a 10% XP boost or something. But the point is there could be some gameplay meaning to that little area. And, uh, you know, it could easily have been a tavern and that your units hang out when you're not, you know, in battle as, a, as opposed to a specific headquarters. Um, and then also, you know, inspired by, um, you and I both played this board game called Red Dragon Inn, which that's kind of the whole concept is it really is just a bunch of, uh, adventurers sitting at a bar drinking and, you know, you are them playing this kind of gambling game, just getting drunk with each other and playing, playing games. It's like a, you're role playing a drinking game. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it wouldn't, you know, the game you're making wouldn't be that. It would be more like that's kind of the starting point. Like, that's the default state that your party members are doing. They're just sitting at a tavern, you know, hanging out. And then the idea being, you know, that's like stuff, you know, quests come in through the door. Oh, help me. (laughs) (laughs) That was was an amazing horse. I was trying to do a a villager's voice. The Mm. horse really attacked me there. You know, anyway, a villager comes in. Oh, help me. My children are you know attacking by owl bears or yes. something a monster something. of some type <laughs> someone please engage in tactical combat to save them <laughs> and you're like oh okay i i can do that I, i'm all over that tactical combat click <laughs> so that's yeah that could be the setup right yeah that's that's pretty much exactly what i'm thinking and i really love the visual of the tavern too uh i'm picturing in my head that as you unlock new characters, you know, they'll now be in the tavern walking around or sitting at the bar or whatever, and you can, like, yeah. click on them and they'll say things or whatever. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> that's a polished step down the road. But, yeah, that's kind of where my head's at, you know. You have yeah. this, the, the tavern hub, and that's kind of where you start your adventures, and it's where you can see... It's like the menu and the museum in one. Right. I mean, the visualizer for that scenario could just be a list, right? Like, over here on the left, here is a, you know, (laughs) web dev style. Here's here's an unordered list 
of your party members and you can kind of sort them or move them to like, oh, these are the active group. You know, these are the party members I'm taking into combat, right? And on your right would be, here's a list of your active quests. And that could be, you know, oh, the villager who needs help right now, or, you know, there's a grizzled warrior, you know, hiding in the sh uh, shadows of the corner of the tavern. And if you talk to him, he has a special quest for you, right? Like those could, that could just be a bolded list, you know, and that's just a really boring way to represent the same kind of, you know, game flow, but the tavern could be a, you know, much more fun, memorable and engaging wrapper for all that. Totally. That's the fun thing about games, right? This is a lot of game development is, you know, taking some mundane tasks <laughs> yeah. and making it seem more interesting. <laughs> Can you imagine when we were working at Raptor, you know, the product requirement comes across our front end desks and it's like, well, we need a, uh, a list so that gamers can, you know, sort their, <clears throat> their favorite games and display that on their profile page, right? Okay, yeah, I can see that. And we're like, all right, well, uh, we'll present that to you Monday. <laughs> Monday, we're like, so we've created a tavern here, and the <laughs> players' games are placed on tables in the tavern, and they're like, what are, what are you guys doing? Like, we're like, sorry, we just, <laughs> we like taverns. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even drink, but we love taverns. Yeah, isn't that weird? It's kind of strange. I, I drink, you know, I, I actually had beers this weekend. Well, I, I don't know if it was technically a beer. I had a mimosa. Hey. <laughs> oh, man. My wife makes uh, fun of me because we go out, uh, you know, we'll get a drink at a, maybe even a bar sometimes, but usually just a restaurant or something. But the point is, uh, we both order drinks and mine is like 1,000 times girlier than hers, you know? <laughs> She'll get like a Guinness, like, you know, like a dark beer, like, mm, this, this is my beer. And then I'll have like, you know, I, I order something that sounds innocent enough manly enough i suppose and then i get this you know it looks like a pink flower with blossom <laughs> princess <laughs> unicorns coming out of it and i'm like ah it tastes good though yeah anyway tangent number one i'm sure that you uh still get hammered i i get hammered really easily i don't even mean to that that's my problem is i uh i'll have one drink and then two and then three and by the time i get to three i'm sick it's terrible yeah terrible can't hold your alcohol i can't Someone actually mentioned something about you being an alcoholic in one of the Moscast survey responses. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, that's kind of funny. You know, it could have to do with, uh, you know, in the first couple of months of the show, we used to take shots before we did the show. Did. Wow. Right? That's right. And, you know, <laughs> out of context, that's uh, <laughs> like, man, these guys like to drink, you know? Well, uh, technically, they're working and they're working buzzed. <laughs> That comment was actually saying that you weren't an alcoholic. No, I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah. I haven't I haven't read them all. I've also noticed that the uh, I do this summary and that randomizes the actual comments you get to see. I, I need, we need to do a deep dive, but I think we're waiting until we have all the data that we're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I forgot we used to take shots. We we did it because when we first started podcasting, I don't think that we were as good at it. Yeah, you get better at a thing. And and this is a big one, too. We were very nervous. Right. It's taken I mean. us a long time to become comfortable because, you know, you're saying things and you're putting your opinions out there and you're exposing your ignorance. And uh, there's a, you know, it's a small spotlight, right? We don't have the biggest show ever, but we there's a spotlight put on you and it, it can be, you know, you're shy. We're introverts. Well, <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody. Seen, and... The things that we say on Lost Cast are forever <laughs> recorded on the internet. Oh, it's permanent, yeah. And when we contradict ourselves, which, you know, happens 
Oh yeah. Oh, we do that quite frequently. Oh <laughs> or, man, that that was a comment I saw definitely in the survey. Is uh, uh but the context was uh, the 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 person was like, uh, you guys contradict yourselves all the time, but it's just funny, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully that's the general feeling, and not like, oh, these idiots are always contradicting themselves. Yeah. Hopefully it's more of a endearing contradiction. Yeah. I mean, I think it, a big part of that is just that we're learning so fast, right? And we've talked about that before. But, you know, we think one thing, right? We'll say an opinion and then we go and we, you know, we fail and we learn and we find out that, oh, that's changed our opinion. But <laughs> I guess worse would be if we're just, you know, no, I just straight up changed my opinion. I've, I, <laughs> you know, politically or something else like, yeah, I just changed. I, there was really no catalyst. I just did it. That well, could be frustrating. You know, it's hard because as much as people can get to know us on the show, there's a lot of our lives and opinions that are shaped elsewhere. Very true. And you're you're only getting a snapshot of the thought processes and things that make up our opinions. That's an interesting thing. I like what do we seem like when it really is just the like the only way you know us is through the podcast, you know? Cuz that's something that's uh, been kind of a recurring theme and and you know the quote I said earlier from the comments is um you kind of build this friendship, right? This kinship. You feel like you know people you know you you hear them talk a lot and you hear them like we talk about our cats we talk about our lives we talk about game development which is you know the bulk of our lives so we talk about our lives a lot and i wonder i wonder what it is that we put forward how do we seem you seem like a big jerk (laughs) you seem like a big jerk oh yeah that's right oh so we so we both seem like big jerks you know i wonder like that starts again to uh, cat crazy workaholics Probably, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Who it makes it makes you self conscious, right? <laughs> like, man, those guys do nothing but work. They sound like they have horrible lives. Okay. I'll say this though: I walked, I went for a walk on the beach yesterday. How about that? Uh, I, I was good at relaxing yesterday. That was good. Yeah, I went for a I'm, walk on the beach on Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Molson and I drove to Solana Beach, which is in North County, San Diego, on the coast. That sounds nice. We went to this like little beach cafe, had breakfast and mimosas. Or no. Ah. Yes. There's just the mimosas. Was it bottomless mimosas? No, like actually, there was a different cafe like we so had much? mimosas. We actually didn't drink uh, at that one. We just oh, had okay. breakfast. Uh, specifically because we wanted to go to the beach afterwards. And if we had drank, we would have needed to go pass out. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are lightweights as well. Yeah, we don't really hardly drink at all. I remember we had gone to a few kind of, uh, not, I don't know, like get togethers from, you know, Yahoo employees and just friends and coworkers and stuff. Like, uh, in San Jose, we went to one and I remember like, I had like one beer and you had like three in the same amount of time and you seemed totally fine. I think partially it has to do with, cause you're like quite a bit larger than I am. You know, you're like six, you're like six, 11, right? You're like this giant, <laughs> you're, you're bigger than me anyway. Yes. I'm six, one ish. Almost and two. You, you definitely hold more liquor than I do. Yes, that's true. But anyways, back to tactics. Hey, tactics prototype. <laughs> <laughs> that was at least two tangents right there. It's several. It was like tangents. It was like the inception of tangents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. I, I, have a, I have a weak spot for inception. <clears throat> it's so funny. It's pretty hilarious. Inceptioning someone. 
Uh, we do. We okay. go like on tangents within tangents within tangents, and then we a have tangent to kind of like work. A tangent. <laughs> yes, right. And it makes it feel like time moves more slowly. Like, <laughs> what are they talking about now? I want to hear about game development. Oh, talking time about, is crawling. Like, staring at birds at the beach. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Man, that's great. Wow. But then you Inception. have to kind of like, you have to close, you know, every tangent you open, you have to walk back and close it. You do. Yeah. You're like, what were we talking about? <laughs> oh, we were talking about San Diego. Oh, is that right? Okay, sure. Yeah. Let's talk about that for 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, no, it's tactics. Okay. We got it. That's right. We got it. We're, we're back on track here. We got this. So one of the things I love about Shining Force is that the characters are so, um, like they have so much personality. Yeah, they do. And that's one of the things I think that made the game so great for me. And what's one of the reasons, actually, that I almost prefer that game over Tactics, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. As you should. Oh, wow. Yes. Strong opinions from Mr. Hackett. I said it. You've never no, even I don't played know. Final I, Fantasy Tactics. I never really got into Tactics. I did try. It, it's really weird. There's, there's like, this collection of Square uh, games that I never got into, Um Chrono Trigger is one of them. I've played it. What? I've sat down and been like, oh, well, hear me out, hear me out. I've been like, I'm going to play this game like four or five different times. I've sat down and I've played it. I, I have the Super Nintendo cartridge, you know? <sighs> I, I've had it for a long time. And I don't know why, but about the 10 hour mark, it loses me. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you can't come back into a role playing game without, no. you know, working at it or help. And, and you lose all the context anyway. So it's not as. Because you want to, you, you know, you want to have that story going. I have no idea why it is, and I apologize to everyone in the world because I know <laughs> it's a fantastic game. It, it looks great, it sounds great, it, it's really fun to play, I, I, and like it's beloved throughout the world. And, I was uh, uh, reading Twitter the other day, and, and the Z Boyd Games guy Robert Boyd, he right. tweeted something uh, like, "What is the best RPG pacing game that you can think of?" Right. And I looked at the responses. He got a ton of responses, like twenty or thirty responses, and it was wow. like. Chrono Trigger, Chrono Trigger, Chrono Trigger, Chrono Trigger, some other bull**t. Chrono Trigger, Chrono Trigger, Chrono Trigger. <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. If if it's the story or... I, I will say this. I don't love time travel. I I kind of hate it. I think it's... <laughs> but I can deal with it. You know, it doesn't stop me from loving, you know, Terminator 2 as an example, right? How can you hate time travel? Because it's just full of paradoxes, and there's always there's always a hole in it. There's, there's millions of holes in it. You're always like, well, what if blah blah blah? Or just go back in time before the blah. Or just you know, those are those aren't the questions that I like to spend time on. You know, I'm more like I say, I say this as a fantasy fan, but I like <laughs> I like the story to be more rooted in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Boy, do I sound like a hard person to please? <clears throat> you sound like you sound ridiculous. <laughs> I want high fantasy and low fantasy married together perfectly. Right. I mean, not not. I no, want something reality. based on reality, like Lord of the Rings. Ex yes, thank you, Jeff. See, now you understand. <laughs> it's a story about walking and <laughs> dropping rings. I do that every day. <laughs> I can totally relate. That's right. I mean, I wish there were dragons everywhere. There aren't. Anyway. Anyways, <laughs> uh, you also didn't play Final Fantasy VII seven no although i'm really eager to do it uh that's another one that i got like 20 hours into and i didn't finish it but but in my defense <laughs> i never no i did on my own playstation at one point i didn't have a playstation for until like you know 
2000. It came out in like, I want to say 1995 or something, but I didn't have one until, you know, PS2 was already out for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I, like someone was like, you know, like a friend took mercy on me was like, look, I got my PlayStation and like, here's five games, it's 20 bucks or something. Right. And I'm like, okay, fine. And I bought it and I, I played some of the games, but uh, especially around the era, PlayStation one did not age well. The 3d graphics were particularly bad, you know, very few polygons, just terrible resolution looked, looked like, but, but it also had this kind of warping thing going on with it where every, to me, everything in the middle just looked almost like a reverse fisheye effect. It was kind of horribly ugly. And I don't think it was the game. I think it was because I, I caught it way too far after its release. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they would release a freaking re-release, they don't even have to do that much to it. Just more, more polygons. <laughs> For God's sakes, <laughs> give me some more polygons. Or just some lighting. Like, I've seen low low uh, fi look good, right? Like, you yeah. can make low poly pretty attractive. But anyway, in my defense, uh, I, I, I really am interested in playing that game. And the moment I feel like um, I can, I will. I actually, I think, I forget who it was. Someone pointed me towards, there was a project someone, uh, some people were working on, probably community-based, where uh, it was like a fan-made version with new graphics. But uh, I couldn't get that to work. Mm. Um, anyway. Uh, Tactics was another one, another Square game. And uh, I'm a huge Square fan. You know, I love Final Fantasy games. I, I go back and I play the remakes of all my favorites. Just recently, I was playing through uh, the original Final Fantasy 2 for Game Boy. Not the one that we got for Super Nintendo, but the original um, Japanese version. Very fun. Uh, I love them. So I, I hate it when there's a hole in my, you know, <laughs> what I've played. And uh, Tactics is a big one. I just never got into it. But I know that you love it. I do. Um, although the point I was going to make is that tactics does this thing where you know half the units in the game are these like well-crafted you know specific units like you have yeah. ramza and delita and uh, a bunch of other characters that are really interesting and they have lots of personality right and then you can go hire these random schlubs, <laughs> schlubs. from like the town Schlub units <laughs> and yeah. uh it's like you know they can be any class you want them to be they're just kind of these generic male and female avatars and like I hated those units. I always hated them. Whenever I was playing Final Fantasy Tactics, I would never... I would try to use as few of them as possible. Interesting. Uh, because I just... I connect more with the characters that have, you know, personality and backstory and aren't just, you know, random fighter number two. Yeah, I can see that. That's uh, it's always an interesting thing in games to me when it's, you know, this curated party designed by the developers or if it's free range and i think it's especially interesting when a game will kind of um kind of teeter-totter between those things i remember the the uh, very first dragon warrior game i played and you just have one character dragon warrior 2 you had three characters and they're all hard-coded right and they all have their own character designs their own you know kind of personalities right but then in dragon warrior 3 you only had the one main character and then you could just create your own party of four and you could at any time you could kick somebody out of your group create somebody brand new and that was kind of strange uh, in that franchise so far, you know, but I always think that decision is very interesting. I think that's why I don't love games like Oblivion and Skyrim as much as, as other games. I don't know what it is. It, maybe it's another reason I don't particularly like playing Dungeons and Dragons. Hmm. You know, I like Dungeons and Dragons mechanically, but I've never really been into, like, I want to create this character and I want to mold his you know, personality or backstory or whatever, you know, right. I'm much more interested in like having someone else, you know, it's like reading a book, right? Right. Like, I don't want to 
make up a Harry Potter character. I want to read about Harry Potter and his, you know, whatever stuff. That's very interesting. I think that I most often would latch onto a game where you were able to create and customize your characters. And I'm not sure why that is. Another um, really big one in my history is Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Warriors of the Eternal Sun. Man, that title's a mouthful. Uh, it was for Sega Genesis. It was one of these role-playing games. I loved the look of the box. You know, I'd look at it in stores back when that was a thing. People actually still did. <laughs> and But it was one of these games that was like 80 bucks or something crazy I could just never afford. Uh, so I got it <clears throat> well after the fact. And uh, the whole way, you could just create a, uh, you could have the computer basically create a random uh, party for you, which that, to me that was ass. Or you could instead go through and create your character systematically Dungeons and Dragons style, right? Like D20 system. Very fun. Right. I like that a lot. Uh, but I think the reason I latched onto those is because it wasn't very common. You know, when I was playing games, it was, uh, it seemed more often you'd be given a party. Yeah, that's probably true. I just find that, you know, this, the characters are never as rich. Yeah. As when, you know, they're kind of crafted uh, as specific characters. What was that board game we were playing when I was visiting where it was the kind of, um, you know, here's a list of characters that have their own stories and their own artwork and their own stats, and you just need to pick one. Was it Dungeon Quest? Dungeon Quest, yeah. So that's how you prefer it, huh? You like to have this pre-built kind of character. Yeah, I kind of like, you know, this is, you know, Balrog the warrior, and he's a berserker, and he has, like, Fleming red hair, and he comes from a broken home or whatever. You know, it's interesting, you know, when you create your own Dungeons and Dragons character, it's kind of a flash in the pan, right? And the best that character can ever do, probably, is that your friends remember that character, and you can talk about him sometimes. Like, maybe that character did some memorable things, or, like, somebody made a gesture that was really funny, and people remember the the things that you did when you were that gesture. And it would just be in your little friend circle, right? But when you have a character that's pre-built, like, <clears throat> let's say you're, you know, you're playing Forgotten Realms... Dungeons and Dragons, you're playing like Dritz Stewart and right, it's like a well-known dark elf, right? Like yep. there's a lot more culture and history and, and richness attached to that character that you kind of add to instead of creating this this uh, thing from scratch. Well, think about all the beloved characters in role-playing games. You know, you've got Link from Legend of Zelda. Right. Uh, you've got um, Blitz or uh, yeah, Sabin, Shadow, Cyan, from Final Fantasy 3, you've got Cloud, Sephiroth, Tifa uh, right. from Final Fantasy 7, you know, Ramza, Delita from Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, you've yeah. got Max and Gort and Luke, Hanzu and Musashi from Shining Force. Uh, they're all very memorable. The Dungeons and Dragons thing actually made me remember um, that uh, some of the early magic card designers would name magic, uh, like legendary magic cards after their Dungeons and Dragons characters, which I guess that would be <laughs> the most you could hope for for a Dungeons and Dragons character as it blossoms into like, you know, actual IP, like branded IP or something. Well, I was going to say that this has, you know, implications for us in, in terms of game marketing and stuff is that I think that, that we found that, um, you know, people seem to latch onto Raga as a character. Yeah. And as a character, storyline wise, he's pretty shallow and weak. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, but I mean, true. like we we didn't explore that as much as we could have. But there's something there, you know. Yeah. He has just little. He has personality. He has somewhat of a backstory. People can uh, talk about him and and share 
you know, sh- share that idea of this character, you know, and when you see someone like draw a Raga picture, like, Hey, that's Raga from AWL. And like, that has a lot of social value, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, someone could see a lizard with a purple collar and, you know, the, uh, the headdress and be like, Oh, Hey, that looks like Raga. Like, oh yeah, it is. It's probably Raga. Like be like, you know, they could share stories of, uh, this cute little monster suffering and dying. <laughs> But did it make you sad the first time you died? Like, yeah, he's uh, cute. Hopefully, <laughs> so I'm pretty convinced that you know that's the way to go uh, from a marketing standpoint with games is to have characters that people can, you know, get attached to. I mean, th- there's obviously right. like a certain segment of people that want to make their own characters in a role playing game. Um, yeah, but I feel like it's. At least I'm interested in having more iconic characters that are more predefined. Because um, not only that, it also just gives your game identity, you know? Yeah. It's not like, true. you know, I, I created a lizard man in Legend of Grimrock 2. I have like a lizard alchemist named something or another. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, someone else yeah. might have a lizard rogue and he's named whatever. And like, uh, it's just, you, you. there's no shared understanding there. For your tactics game, you are picturing uh, like the characters are created and uh, given their own unique designs and personalities and that kind of stuff. Exactly, yeah. It's very Shining Force-esque, yes. you know, where you have like Max the Swordsman and Balbury the Bird Warrior and whatever else. I was actually yeah. last night going through and making a bunch of notes about various characters I wanted to make. Oh, nice. Yeah, I want to make uh, an owl handler. Nice, I like that. He, he's like a, a falconer, but he has an owl. Nice. You know, and so he can summon an owl familiar and then, like, basically a lot of his damage comes from the owl or something. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um, And then some other stuff. I want to, like, some weird things, too. You know, I want to really give these characters personality and and instead of just being, like, generic fighter, rogue, mage. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So that's kind of the direction I'm going with that stuff. Uh, The other big change recently in tactics was I had originally started it as sort of a procedurally generated map that was kind of like these puzzle pieces, you know, like here's a corner, here's a hallway, here's a room, you know, and then the dungeon generator would create a dungeon based on those puzzle pieces. Yeah. I just, I wasn't feeling it. And and I didn't Hmm. think that it had a lot of, as much tactical value as I wanted. So I kind of took a step back and I thought about it. You know, one of the things that, that makes Shining Force great or... Final Fantasy Tactics is that you're usually in a smallish room, you know, for right. lack of a better term, better term, arena, I guess. Uh, and it has certain features that make, you know, that battle tactically interesting. You know, for like example, in like, I think it's the second battle in Shining Force, you know, there's a river, right? There's a river. And then on the other side of the river, there's like some ranged units uh, and then like a big guy blocking the river or something. Right. And you can, like, shoot across the river and take them out without engaging them in melee. But if you do, you have, like, this choke point at the bridge where, you know, only one of your guys can be attacking at once, which, you know, part of the strategy of of Shining Force is actually ganging up on an enemy. Right. And so it makes it more difficult. And so I really wanted to create scenarios like that. Nice. Instead of just having these randomized hallways. You, uh, you you added some bats. He sent me a screenshot, and you said the bats could fly over the water. And then you said, damn sea bats. <laughs> that, you know, 
That was, that's a reference only people <laughs> who are really into Shouting Force would get. Yes. Which is uh, like all C-bats. five of us were like, yes, <laughs> D-Bats. <laughs> well, so like uh, along that line of thinking, what I did is I went back and, and I started making the maps a little bit more Lava Blade style, where they're kind of randomly generated from templates. Right. And so one of the maps I was making, I was like, you know, this would be fun if there was like a river and a bridge or a lake and a bridge or something, you know. Because I really yeah. like the idea of choke points. You know, choke points in a tactical game are important. Because it forces you to, like, move your units through a little choke point. And not every map has to have a choke point, obviously. But, you know, the, it, it's a tool that you can use uh, to make certain areas more interesting. Yeah, definitely. And so I was making these maps with the bridges and the water. And, you know, you could only move over bridges and land. You couldn't go over water. And then I was like, oh, what about flying enemies that can move over water? You know, that's an interesting way to mix up that mechanic. And it was something that obviously I've been exposed to in Shining Force and other games uh, that have that sort of mechanic, but I hadn't thought about it in my own design, Yeah, uh, which is kind of sad because it's like such a simplistic variation on the core mechanic. Yeah, it is. Right? It's like you haven't even gotten into abilities and hit points and anything else. It's like, how do you move around the map? Oh, now this other unit can move differently than other units. A way to get there, <clears throat> oh horsey, might be to you know you take away the combat and you make it a game more like chess, where like or maybe it's you know you land next to a unit because you know that's a fundamental difference is in chess you land on top of units, but in yours you kind of land near them, right? But it basically <clears throat> take away health, right? And that'll quickly narrow everything down to the point where you're like, okay, so there's really in this environment there's not a lot of wiggle room with abilities and you know multiple turns dealing damage and that kind of stuff so it forces you to look elsewhere for places to expand so i thought that was pretty interesting you know just changing up the environment just by playing with the environment a little bit uh, i was able to you know make some progress on the core game mechanics nice yeah so anyways um i'm kind of moving towards a more of a less randomly generated maps and more kind of hand curated but obviously i want to uh, make those maps, you know, somewhat randomized, either through monster placement and power-up placement or things like that. Um, or maybe even kind of more, like, specific generators. Like, here's a generator that creates a map that has a river and a bridge. And right. the path of that river through the map and the place that the bridge exists on the river is randomized. I, I think when uh, a lot of, especially developers, picture you know, procedural generation, they picture this really complicated advanced thing, you know, like Minecraft with this biomes and lots of different types of terrains and environments and uh, all this stuff. But the, the procedural generation can be very simple. Like I think Animal Crossing is a pretty good example because it really just creates a, you know, big room, like you're saying. It's really just a map. And they're never really that different. There's, you know, depending on which Animal Crossing you're talking about, uh, but they'll basically place like, okay, well, I'm going to put four houses and, you know, the mayor's office and here's the train station. And then every town has a river at some place somewhere cutting through it. Right. Right. That's it. Like there's no like, oh, sometimes there's a mountain or here's some complicated, you know, there's a cemetery grid or it's, it's really just stuff gets shuffled around and it's very basic. Yeah. That's kind that of the, appealing sometimes. the approach that I'm going for here is that, uh, you know. It's almost like room generators in a wizard's lizard, you know? Like, you have one room generator, and it generates a room with zombies and graves. Right. And the placement of those elements is entirely random, but 
you know, that specific room has continuity. Yeah. And so that's kind of the effect I'm going for, too. You know, like, oh, this map has two rivers and a bridge. And where they are on the map is, you know, subject to RNG, but that particular map always has those specific elements. So where is your tactics prototype at, and what's next? Next is kind of trying to finish up the game flow a little bit. I had this, uh, originally I had this idea where each level you'd be trying to get to the exit. It was more like a dungeon floor. Yeah. Right, where you're like, okay, you start over here, and there's some bad guys in the way, and then you get to the exit, and then you move on. And that was interesting. The more I thought about that mechanic, the less it harmonized with the core gameplay, I felt. Hmm. Uh, because I feel like I want the core game pay, gameplay to be about tactical combat. It's about using your abilities to overcome your opponents. I see. Uh, and getting from A to B is kind of a... It just doesn't fit that mechanic as well. I think it could be interesting. It changes your priority, right? Yeah, exactly. So basically, I took a look at it and and in the context of how I want this game to play and feel, and it kept bringing up more problems than I wanted it to. Interesting. Because it was like, okay, you know, which units exit first? Why don't you just run your fastest unit all the way to the end and just get to the end of the floor? And it's like, then you have to compensate for that design-wise, you know, because players are going to do the things that are the most efficient, because that's how yeah. you know game players work, uh, and so I found that that particular mechanic just kept not harmonizing with the way that I viewed the game, uh, and so I cut it. And now uh, I'm kind of rejiggering the game to be more about, you know, here's a scenario uh, with some environment and some monsters in it, and you know, at the the most basic uh, gameplay condition is that you need to kill them all. Kill them all. Kill them all. Um, but you could introduce things like, you know, kill them all without or while not letting them kill this hostage. You changed the win condition, basically, right? I did, yeah. So instead of the win condition being get to this exit, the win condition is, you know, probably, you know, most often just to be kill them all. Yeah, in Shining Force, that was the most common, but there was uh, several battles where it was kill this one unit, which that's pretty interesting, and it can give you all kinds of leverage as a game designer, right? You could have, say, a dragon sitting in the corner that just kind of hangs out, and it won't bother you if you don't bother it. It's like an optional encounter, and you don't have to kill it, right? You just need to kill this, you know, the general or whatever the quest is. And that's that's a very powerful thing, because as we've seen, you know, we can't do that and say a wizard's lizard you have to kill every single monster in every single room because we never really revisited the win condition it's just you know flip these switches and kill the monsters and you're good uh technically we did i mean we didn't we we had the ability to right (laughs) um you know like there's certain things that we we flagged as monster or not monster um it's almost like the dead things (laughs) you know obviously by necessity we made it so the dead things don't have to be killed when you're in the living room. Yeah. Um, but we could have applied that, you know, we, we could have made the plants, for example. The plants don't count towards the doors. And so... Right, we could have. It's kind of like the torches, right? The torches in... I mean, I guess it's not a good example because you can't kill them, but, <laughs> you know, it, given the existing mechanics, we could have easily made rooms with optional enemies, but we didn't. Uh, and so, 
basically uh, I had made this kind of design decision early on about making the game about getting from A to B and the more I played it and the more I thought about it, it just didn't fit. So I'm kind of taking a, a different approach now uh, to the way that the game progresses through the levels. And it's more, you know, it's not about getting from A to B anymore. It's more about like, here's a scenario that you have to overcome. Yeah. And that makes to, a lot more sense actually. Yeah. You have to use the tools at your disposal uh, in order to overcome it. And the tools being, you know, the characters that you have in that party. That was kind of left over from the, when it was kind of seen as more of an Egyptian, you know, deep diving kind of thing. Cause when you go into a pyramid, you're not really going to, you know, go in, dip out. You're like, it, it felt more like you go into it and you get to the end where the treasure is or whatever. Like that seems the most common way to approach, you know, in a pyramid adventure kind of situation. Right. I think that part of it is just decoupling my brain from the idea that everything has to be this linear adventure. Yeah. You know, not everything tough, has to be, you know, okay, you start at level one, then you go to level two, and you go to level three, and you level four, and then you fight a boss, and you're done. Um, yeah. And I think that my game will kind of follow that a little bit. It just won't, it just doesn't necessarily have to feel so explicit, like, oh, you start at the door, and then you go to the exit, and then you get to the next level. You know, it's more like, here's a, here's the first scenario, and you fight scenario one. And you win. And then now you have some kind of transitionary screen and you improve your units. And then you now you're playing scenario two. And the overall theme could be like, oh, you're making your way through a forest to a castle. And, you know, it's yeah. so like, so like the first battle is forest, second battle is forest. And then the third battle is like river forest. And then the next battle is like the gates of the castle, you know, and like the gates have a choke point or something. And then right. the last level is inside the castle and there's a boss. I feel like when you start to design a game, you begin to have a lot of assumptions in your mind. You know, it's easy to be like, I've got this cool idea for a game where you, you know, you kill rabbits and you're in a flying castle, right? Whatever it is. And you're already picturing things in your head, like, oh, it plays like this game or the controls are like this or whatever. And I think that, that a lot of that comes from like games you've recently played. And this might not be true for everybody. It might just be true for us, right? But like, let's say I've been playing a lot of Mega Man. I might be like, yeah, I want to make this game where there's like, you know, <laughs> N number of selectable levels and then a final challenge. And that kind of, um, starting with that, like a template from somewhere else, I think can be kind of damaging sometimes. And I know that I do that. I'll think like, you know, I've been playing lots of roguelikes, so I'll be like, yeah, it's just this game where you always enter into the same point. And that's, that's kind of how Wizard Lizard was designed. You know, we didn't revisit it and be like, okay, so, you know, and when you make your own game, you're always building this unique experience, right? So what is the best way to wrap a macro game around this unique experience, you know? And it could be argued that, like, you know, the single entry point with the Wizard's Lizard probably isn't all that great because when you start from the cemetery and you exit the crypt, you know, if you're playing the way a lot of people play, that could be an hour. And that was probably over the amount of time we were shooting for, you know? We wanted it to be more like a 30-minute session you sit down for. And so we never went back and kind of revisited that and if we had we might have made it more modular like we're thinking about like you're thinking about with your tactics game and like we're thinking about with you know possible um roguelike roguelikes in the future will be more like you know here's here's the cemetery and you can play that for a while and then beat it or whatever and then here's the sewer and you can spend some time in there more separated instead of just kind of almost like a cookie cutter you know you just go with whatever you've whatever first idea you had in your head yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I'm really interested in the idea that you don't always have to start 
in the same place and right. the progression doesn't have to pick up where the first level left off, you know? One thing I think that'll be really interesting that we could have done in AWL is is had like you're saying, the cemetery B just has self-contained thing. And so you start from the beginning with no items, you play the cemetery, you beat the boss. Congratulations, you made some progress. Now you can yeah. play the sewer. And when you play the sewer, it's a different entry point. You still start with no items, but the sewer is just more difficult. You know, it's still, it's progression in the sense that the game is more challenging, but it gives you more flexibility uh, to play the game in different ways. And just kind of start from where you want to start instead of like having this really long, okay, you got to trudge through the cemetery and then trudge through the thing and then you get to the crypt. Yeah. And it makes it so you have to design those. Not not only do you have to make the crypt harder just because the crypt should be harder because it's a, you know, more difficult level design-wise, but you also have to account for all of the power that the player has accumulated through the cemetery and the and the sewers. That's true, yeah. Whereas that's difficult. If they were just kind of if they were like parallel to each other, you know, cemetery, sewer, crypt as separate dungeons that you always entered from the same place then the crypt would just need to be you know harder than the cemetery in the sense that the monsters are more difficult but you wouldn't necessarily have to account for okay the player's going to have like you know 30 soul orbs and they're going to have the best totem in the game and a really good weapon and all this other stuff right yeah exactly that's a harder thing as a game designer. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode somewhere, we, we've got a uh, few resources. So basically the easier we can make it on ourselves, the better. And it's great for extensibility too. I mean, if you think about like, how would we add a level to a wizard's lizard now? You know, we've thought about, Oh, I guess, you know, maybe there's another door after death or there's another secret entrance somewhere else, but you have to basically shoehorn in this extra content somewhere into the existing flow. Right. right. Whereas in a more modular design, it's like, okay, now there's now there's a, a different campaign. And this campaign takes place in the underwater world of sunken Atlantis. And right, it's yeah. just a new entry point. And you start from scratch and it's got its own themes and monsters and whatever else. But, you know, it doesn't have to, you know, coexist <laughs> entangled with all this other content. Well, I'm really looking forward to playing your tactics prototype. I haven't for some time. And uh, we were thinking about making some YouTube content. You know, like you could, you know, you've been working on your prototype for a while. We could make a video of me kind of getting a first impression and reacting, you know, in real time. Like, what? What? What is this? Like, I actually haven't seen it before, you know? That could yeah. be kind of a fun video for us to make pretty soon, hopefully. I hope we can do that this week, actually. I really want to uh, at least do a video, you know, where we can kind of talk about uh, the various things that that we've been working on and kind of show off. I mean, because talking about the prototypes is great, kind of like discussing the game design choices, but it'd be really great to start getting out some videos so people could see what it is that we're talking about. Well, thanks for listening. We appreciate your time. If you've got a spare moment, fill out the Lost Cast listener survey, and pretty soon we're going to go over all the results on the show. Don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes and thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Ship it.
my children are, you know, attacking my owl bears.